Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we just really want to thank you for another day. We thank you for life and particularly the life that we have in you. Because what would life be without you, Lord our God? So, Lord, we are grateful for the salvation of our souls. Grateful for your grace and mercies that attend us, O God. Grateful for today that you have been with us since we woke up and you'll continue to be with us everlasting, Father. And, Lord, we are grateful that we have this privilege, this opportunity that we can come and sit at your feet just to look into your words, to learn of you, O God. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to please come. Please come and teach us. You are the teacher. You are the counselor. You are the one that reveals Jesus to us. Please come and open our eyes to see the wonderful truths in your word today, O God. We bless you, everlasting Father. And Lord, let your word transform us as well, O God. Let your word bind us together in your love. Thank you, everlasting Father. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Okay. Good evening, everyone, again. And uh, thanks for joining today. Um, we started last week looking at Isaiah 43 because we were um, talking about the new. We started talking about the new, looking at Isaiah 43. And um, I had said for us to read a few chapters. I'm not sure we'll be able to go through all of them today because there's a lot to talk about, but also because I'd like you to please ask questions. I realized I was asking most of the questions last week. And um, just to give a chance for you to ask any questions that you would like to, to ask. Um, so Isaiah 43, we looked at yesterday but just to remind us and i think it's important to always put this before us that we read the bible for many many reasons but top most reason why we read the bible must always be because we want to learn about god we want to know god we want to know the mind of god um the prophet hosea actually god said through the prophet hosea in hosea chapter 4 it says that my people perish because they don't know me. It's a lack of knowledge of God that causes people to stray from the things of God. And the truth of the matter is that when you search the Bible, the heart of God is really to call people back to that place where we know God and we're relating with God, walking with God. Um, like I said before, it's to know God. It's also to know the mind of God, what God is saying, his, his instructions, his corrections, his encouragement. Please don't read the Bible all the time just for the promises and the encouragement, as good as they are. Look for the, the, the chastisement sometimes. Look for the, the correction. I think I've said to you once before that I had this habit. I actually stopped, but maybe I should start it again, where for many, many years, I've just opened the Bible. It was, you know, when I come to the quiet time, I just open the Bible. Whatever chapter I open to, I just receive it as the word of God. 
whether it starts by saying woe unto those who whatever whatever it is it is the word of god and we must receive the word of god in its totality so we read the bible to know god we read the bible to hear the mind of god his instructions his correction his encouragement um we read the bible for the promises of god because the bible is also full of his promises and then we read the bible because we want revelation of jesus the bible is always revealing jesus in one way or the other um so i i just wanted to put that before us as we go into um today's session okay so last week we looked at isaiah 43 and you know the truth is that as much as i'd love us to move on to um the the other scriptures that we wanted to look at I, I read Isaiah 43 again, and I was just amazed at uh, new things that I was finding that the Holy Spirit was revealing to me. But just to remind ourselves, there were about five or six themes that we said God was saying in this chapter, Isaiah 43. Now, who's going to represent the whole class and tell us, just remind us, what were the five or six themes, major themes that you get from Isaiah 43? So we don't read Isaiah for, oh yes, I remember. And please, when you read the Bible, don't just read individual scriptures, always read scripture in context. So Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19 is the word God gave us as a people um, that we, we've been walking and praying, pray, praying on but please always read scripture in context that's why we read the whole of isaiah 43. so who's going to represent the class the the team the group who's the the class captain that is going to be brave and represent everybody five six things that we said from isaiah 43 what is god saying from isaiah 43 who's going to go and represent the class I don't know whether there's there's going to be a present for whoever does. Okay, Kemi, you want? Okay, um, I will try actually, to. Actually, Kemi, let's let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. So there are about five or six themes. You do one, so we we ah, get other people okay. to do others. So just do one. Okay, that's fine then. That uh, I, I thought I had to do all the five, but okay. Do, the first one mm. is um, the beginning of Isaiah forty-three. Uh, told us about the character of God, uh, who God is, and um, and about his no, sovereignty. No, no, that wasn't what how God started Isaiah 43. How did God start Isaiah 43? What was the first thing that he said? And this is very instructive as we go on. What is the first thing that God said in Isaiah 43? Okay, you're looking at your Bible, I'm sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. So what's the first thing? Okay, no, let's go on because of time. Okay, um, some Thomas put it in the in the chat box. So the first thing that we said last last week, ladies and gentlemen, is God starts by saying that we should not be afraid. It is a word of reassurance. And it's very important because you learn the language as you read the bible you learn the language of god you learn the heart of god this is god you know typical god speaking 
encouraging for us before challenge, before chastising. So he says to the children of Israel, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Um, um, and shows his heart towards us, yeah? And he says, don't be afraid because you belong to me. And he says, don't be afraid because I'm always with you. Very, very important scriptures because it sets the context for the rest of Isaiah 43. Okay, second theme. What was the second theme? Anybody? Kemi, well done. Anybody? Very quickly, and then we'll go on to the next chapter. Anybody who wants to? Second theme, the five themes, 16 themes, five, six themes. You guys are quiet today. Um, okay, God reminded us of identity in him and reassures us that's good. That is responsible for us. That's good. Anybody else? What are the six themes? I will give you everything that I promised. Okay, yes, yes. What else? What else? Was he God? will always be with us. Thank no you. What we are going through. Very, very important. That was the second thing that he was saying that he will always be with us no matter what we're going through. And remember the context, please, because God is writing to the Israelites who by now are in exile because he'd warned them. They didn't listen to him. They were stiff naked. And this is very important for where we were going. They, they, they were hard hearted and then they were now in exile. But God is saying, look, don't worry. Um, whatever it is you've gone through, whatever it is you're going through, because he recognized that people were discouraged because of the circumstances. He says, I will be with you, whatever it is you go through. Very important, again, the heart of God. What else? Thank you for that. Anybody else? So we've done two or three out of six. Anybody? Okay, should I call names randomly, guys? Um, Toyin, Toyin, Olajide, do you want to just have a have a go? Incidentally, I I learn, and I think we learn when we attempt to answer questions. Don't worry whether you get it right or wrong. You know, just just yeah. Who's gonna go? Um, I don't mind. This is Kemi again. I don't mind going okay. again. Okay, Kemi, Kemi, represent the class. Yeah. Okay. Um. So he was also. Um, uh, telling us that um, before he went on to say that we should not forget uh, that we should forget the former things, he was reminding us of all the things that he has he had done in the past uh, for, uh, for 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 his children, yeah. um, and um, just uh, again reminding us of uh, who he is, his sovereignty, and all the things that um, he has accomplished for, yeah. uh, for for his people. Okay. All right. Thanks. I think what I'll do is let me just quickly summarize um, in two minutes and then at 7.14, we'll do the declaration and then move on. You know, there, there, there's some verses that jumped at, it, at me when I read Isaiah 43 again today. Like we said, it starts with fear not. And then in verse four, when I was talking about the fact that he was with them, he says in verse four that you are honored and I love you. And all these things are critical as we read the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, because remember, it's showing us the heart of God, and it helps to bring the entire scripture into context. And then he says to them, he says, you are my witnesses. And what he's saying is that you've seen the things that I've done before, you've seen. And not only that, he says in verse 10 that you have been chosen by me to know me, to believe in me, and to understand that I, I alone am God. That you are meant to be the one that represents me to other people. But here they are. 
you know, disobeying God, being hard-hearted towards God, and they're now captives in a strange land. And then he then says, he starts a promise to say to them that, okay, look, don't worry. I'm going to deliver you from your captivity. But to help them believe, um, as we read later on, because by this time, a lot of them were, were unbelieving. They were weary because of the challenges they were going through. To help them unbelieve, he now then reminds them of what he had done before, how he took their ancestors from Egypt uh, through the Red Sea and all. And then verse 18, it's 714, 714. Okay, let's make the declaration. Oh Lord, we are your people called by your name. We humble ourselves. We pray and seek your face. We turn from our wicked ways. Hear from heaven, Lord, forgive our sins and heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray. We declare that our land is healed in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Okay, so just to summarize in verse 18, which is the, the key scripture, it says, but don't, but forget all of that. And what he was saying, we talked about this last week, is a seeming paradox, but has two connotations. One is that I have done all these wonderful things for you, but they are not that that they're going to be nothing compared to what I am going to do. But it also has the paradox or the the other side of the coin where God was saying, "I know what you've been through. I know the challenges you've been through because it's very easy, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you will agree that we forget the good, but we remember the bad? We oftentimes color God or we define God by the difficult times you go through more than the, 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 good, the good things that God has done. And so God is saying, remember the good things because they help you to trust me and put your hope in me. But forget the not so good things so that they don't become a hindrance to what I'm about to do. And then he says, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I'm going to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? And then goes on to say, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. And like we said last week, this is just describing how God was going to guide them and how God was going to provide for them. But very quickly, let's move on, because the question is, what exactly is this new thing that God was speaking about that he wanted to do. And you'll get a sense of what God was referring to when you read the rest of Isaiah 43, because he now comes back to talk about their disobedience, their hard-heartedness, their stubbornness, all the things that brought them into captivity in the first place. Secondly, when he says, I'm going to do something more than what I did before. Like we said last week, ladies and gentlemen, God wasn't just talking about delivering them from Egypt, um, from um, Babylon. He was talking about something far greater, something far more glorious. He was speaking futuristically about the eventual deliverance. It wasn't just the deliverance of the Israelites in that particular context. He was talking about the eventual deliverance of humanity. He was talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, where we, he, he then 
through his sacrifice makes men and women new. And today I wanted us to focus on that because when you read the scripture, I'm doing a new thing, please don't always go to um, the, the, the new job, the new circumstances, the, the, the new car, the new finances, all those things are byproducts if you learn the heart and the mind of God. What is the most important thing to God, ladies and gentlemen? What matters to God the most? What matters to God the most is his relationship with us and then transforming us into the people that he had in mind in the first place. That's what matters the most to God. So when God is talking about the new, it always starts with becoming a new people. The whole essence of delivering the people of Israel from, from captivity and bringing them back was not just to restore their land, but to restore them back to himself as a new people with a new heart, which then leads us to today's scripture. Um, I hope you read it. Um, if, if you, I hope you did, because it will help us go through very quickly. Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, all the, the prophets, uh, the major, in fact, all the prophets, but particularly the major prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they all literally said the same thing. Barring the uh, futuristic visions that God gave Daniel. But between Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, the message was the same with overlaps. And it's interesting that those three prophets, they overlapped in terms of their existence um, when, when they lived. So Ezekiel 36 is saying exactly the same thing that God was saying in Isaiah talking about his restoration, that God's plan to restore his people and bring his people back to him. Now, let's see if we can do this in a few minutes. How many people read Ezekiel 36? And can anybody give me one, two, three major themes that stand out in Ezekiel 36? And why I'm doing this is just to teach us or to help us read scripture in context. So we would normally read 25 verses 25, 26, 27, and we'll come to that. But please read the context. Can anybody give us summaries? Ezekiel 36. Anybody? 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 Just have a go. If you read Ezekiel 36, is anyone going to try? Okay, you guys are very quiet today. Let me give you a bit of background for um, the prophet Ezekiel, just to help us. Okay, Telma says God is sovereign. Yes, Telma, I'm going to put you on the spot if you don't mind. Can you explain what you mean or why you're saying God said God is sovereign? Can you? Um, I I felt like he was. He constantly kept saying that God this is what God has said and he's keeping his words and his promises because he has said he's going to do it and he's not going back on his word. I okay. felt like the prophet kept repeating that about the sovereignness of God, the sovereignness of God, like you see it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you see it again when you go down to like verse six and you okay. just keep, that word just kept coming up. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that. Okay. Um, 
Can you put up your hand? You want to have a go? Yeah, I just wanted to give my summary of what I read. I read it last week, so I vaguely remember. That's fine. That's fine. Um, God said, God was, um, God turned against his people because they rebelled against him. Yeah. And, you know, what really stood out to me was God saying he was going to give them a new heart, he was going to give them a new spirit, mm. but not because of what they've done or what they would do anything, but because of himself and because of his own name. Okay. He would give them that new heart and that new spirit. And that really stood out to me. Very, God, very good. Yeah. God said he's going to do that because of himself. Okay. Like, that, that that's very good, Ibukun. Thank you so much. But before that, um, ladies and gentlemen, I, I I think and please read if you haven't read the the this scripture. Very very interesting. Before that, again, like Thelma said, God is speaking through the prophets the same message. You you disobeyed me, therefore you were punished and went into captivity. But I'm going to restore you. Yeah, said it through Isaiah, said it through Jeremiah, said it through Ezekiel. Now, it's interesting in, in Ezekiel 36, the first thing that struck me is that even though the children of Israel were in Babylon because of their disobedience, because they, 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 they rebelled against God, again, you can see the heart of God. And, you know, guys, this is so important. You can see the heart of God. So in, in verse 6, and I think somebody mentioned um, verse 6, it says, therefore prophesy to the hills and mountains, the ravens and valleys of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am furious that you have suffered shame before the surrounding nations. Now, God is saying, okay, I know you rebelled against me, but here you are in captivity and, you know, you're suffering as a result. God is almost saying, like, my heart is going out towards you. Again, the love of God that is showing towards these people here. And then he says, verse 18, uh, verse 8, I beg your pardon. I really love this. But the mountains of Israel will produce heavy crops. This is him talking about the restoration. He says, but the mountains of Israel will produce heavy crops of fruit for my people, for they will be coming home again soon. That's a promise. Verse 9, see, I care about you and I will pay attention to you. That really touched me, ladies and gentlemen. This is the God that we serve and that we belong to. Yes, you made a mistake. Yes, I made a mistake. I'm suffering the consequences of my mistake. But God is saying, even in all of that, I still love you. I still care for you. And, you know, it, it's, very, it's very important when we read scripture so that we see God as he really is. You know, let's not allow circumstances to paint a picture of God that is not. That's why we read the scripture so we understand the heart of God. So he says, I, I, I really care about you and I will pay attention to you. And then, you know, the promise goes on. He says, I will make you even more pro prosperous than you were before. I'm just highlighting these prefaces to help us understand the heart of God and the context of where we're going to. So this is God saying, Yes, you've sinned, you've rebelled, I've punished you, but I'm going to restore you. I'm restoring you because I really love you. And then like um, Ibukun, Ibukun said, when you come to verses 16 downwards, that's when he then says, you know, you guys, the truth, I'm paraphrasing. He says, you guys, the truth is that 
you really are very, very hard-hearted, rebellious people. You know, you, know, you would have thought that after uh, sending them to captivity, after being, being uh, second-class citizens in Babylon, you would have thought that they'd be repentant. You would have thought that their hearts would be mellow. You would have thought that, you know, they'd be remorseful. Exactly what the Bible was saying in Isaiah 43, when you read from verses 22 downwards. That's why I said, please, let's read scripture in context. Because God says, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to do more than I did before. But the truth is that your hearts are still hard. Your hearts are still rebellious. Exactly what God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, your weak, it's, it's almost like saying, your, 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 your wickedness hasn't left you. Your hearts are still hard. And that's where he now then says, you know what? I'm not doing this thing because you deserve it. And this is very instructive for us, ladies and gentlemen. When God says that he's doing a new thing, let's never place ourselves in a position where we think we deserve the new or whatever it is God is doing. Let's never think that anything God does is as a result of the good that we've done, if we've done any good at all. He says, I'm not doing this because you deserve it. I'm doing it for my name's sake. I'm doing it because I am God. This is what I've promised. This is my plan. This is my intention. And then can somebody go on from there? I, I don't like talking too much. That's why I ask questions. Anybody, what next? I was not in the class last week, but reading the beginning of the chapter shows God's mercy and forgiveness. Thank you very much, Felicia. Okay, that's very true. Um, Basira, God said he will destroy Israel because of his holy name, not because that's fantastic. That's all we said. Okay, anybody else? What else did you gather before we go to our main verses? We're just looking at the context. Anybody, anybody, anybody? And then I'm going to stop in a few minutes and let you ask questions. Anybody? Okay, so let me start reading from verse 22 to give us context. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. You know, that's another, another Bible study on its own. You know, where we must constantly ask ourselves the question, as Christians, as children of God, is our conduct, is it bringing shame to God or is it glorifying God? That's another Bible study, but he says, I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you are scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Again, that God wants to glorify himself through our lives. Verse 24, for I will gather you from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Now, this is what Isaiah 43 and a lot of the other um, verses were talking about about the restoration, the new thing that God was going to do. He says, I'm going to gather you 
from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your field will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. Can I pause for a second and ask the question, ladies and gentlemen, if the restoration was just about bringing them from captivity back to their land, restoring them to their land so that they could you know, grow all their whatever it is. Why is God saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Your field will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. Why? Why? Anybody? Anybody? There are lots of you on this call and nobody's answering. Okay, Pastor, God took them to Babylon in Germany. They still have it. Yeah, okay. Sorry, let me just read that very. Um, if we relate it to our day-to-day -day life, does this mean that God does not need us to glorify his name? He just shows us mercy upon mercy. Regardless, God will be glorified. Let me stop to, to answer that, um, Telma. So God has an expectation of us, and it's important that we understand this. Remember, he chose the nation of Israel then. The reason why he chose Israel was to use them as an example of a people called by God, loved by God, and holy like God, to represent God to the nations. So God's plan had always been that this people, and it's the same with us, will come to God through Jesus Christ. The plan is that through people, human beings can see visible evidence of what it is like to have a relationship with God, to be a people loved by God, holy to God, by their conduct. That's, how, that's always been the plan. It continues to be the plan. Now, when we don't do, so the first part of the question, Telma, is that God expects us to live like that. And I hope we can get to it. Um, we may not be able to get to it. Um, that's why I said for you to read um, Ephesians chapter four. God's plan is that we behave and live in the way that he ordained for us to live holy lives and particularly for New Testament believers, uh, the, the Christ-like life. But when we don't live like that, God will not allow you and I to sully his holy name. That's what he's saying. So the answer to your question is that there's an expectation of us and we mustn't, we mustn't say, it, for example, well, let me just do whatever it is that I want. Let me live however I want because God will be glorified anyway. That is taking the mercies and the kindness of God for granted. There's an expectation that you and I are meant to live up to, to become the holy people of God. But if you don't do your bit, God will still glorify himself. Yeah? Okay. Um, Sophie, so that they not repeat the same disobedience to God. Yeah, okay. Um, so the question was, why was he saying, I'll sprinkle you with clean water and you will clean, you'll be, you'll be washed your field will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. It's because of where we're going, ladies and gentlemen, that the principal thing, the thing that matters to God the most 
is what I call the principle of representation. And that's what I've just explained to you, that what God wants, what God has always wanted is a people that represent him. So when he talks about, I'm doing a new thing for the children of Israel, it was that he was now going to do what we're reading in verses 25, 26, 27. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That tells you what was on God's mind and continues to be on God's mind. Because the plan of God has always been that the people he calls to himself would represent him appropriately, appropriately to the rest of the world. Now, where we, are, where, where, where we have erred from the original part, where we, we've become hard-hearted and rebellious and sinful and all, God in his mercy still, he doesn't abandon you and I. He still comes and then he says, you know what? <laughs> I will restore you. I will do a new thing in your life by taking away the hard, rebellious heart and then give us hearts that are tender and responsive. He will put a new spirit in us so that we will follow his decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, can somebody just expand on what I've just said? Anybody, however it is, you understand it. Okay, let me see. Um, okay, um, Joy, you said to be able to have a relationship with God. That's why he was um, cleaning, cleaning them up. Yeah? It is for his will to be done. God realized that sent them into exile and kept, did not change them. Okay, now, Felicia, just, just to say that I know that there was a generality in terms of what God was saying. I'm not sure that it's everybody that was not changed. I think some people were changed, but the Bible doesn't tell us. But yes, I think in general, the people of Israel were still hard-hearted and unrepentant when they were in captivity. Okay, uh, what Bible version are you reading? It's a New Living Translation. That's what I use most times for my for my Bible study. To have a holy people going back to his original plan for Israel. Very correct to be closer to him, in other words, be more like him. Thank you very much. That's where we're going, ladies and gentlemen. So God says, for anything meaningful to happen in our lives, and I'm paraphrasing, the starting point must be the heart. That's where God deals with, that's where God relates with. And that's where for us, ladies and gentlemen, if we're talking about the new, the starting place must be our heart. If something new doesn't happen in our hearts, it's going to be difficult for anything else to manifest because what we'll be doing is we'll be focusing on the things that we want, not what God wants. And I'll say this a million times until we finish, that God's principal focus is that we become the people who will represent him appropriately. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came not just to die for our sins. You see, let, let's, let's, let's relate to the two things. Here in verse 25, it says, 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Your field will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. That's what Jesus came to do. Because through the blood of Jesus, he cleanses us and makes us um, 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 righteous before God. But then it doesn't stop there. It says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Why? For what purpose, ladies and gentlemen? So that you can follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations so that you can follow me appropriately, represent me appropriately, do all the things that I ask you to do. It says in verse 28, and you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You'll be my people and I will be your God. That has always been the plan, ladies and gentlemen. From when he called Abraham in Genesis, the promise he gave Abraham from the beginning, the covenant promise was, I will be your God and you will be my people. I hope somebody understands this, that what God wants is a people who belong to him, but also represent him. Okay. Um, Sophie says, God wants to restore his relationship with them. Okay, that, that's great. So he says, and you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will send, I, I, will, I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain and I will send no more famines on the land. I will give you great harvest from your fruit trees and fields and never again will the surrounding nations be, be able to scoff at you. Um, at your land for its famines, verse 31. Then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things you did. But remember, says the sovereign Lord, I'm not doing this because you deserve it. Oh, my people of Israel, he says, you should be utterly ashamed of yourself. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, in the few minutes that we have, I wanted us to talk about the heart. That's where God looks at. That's where God starts from. That's where he works at. And if there's going to be any new thing, ladies and gentlemen, it must start from the heart. You remember the, the verses that I read? He says, I will give you great harvest from fruit trees. Um, I will send, I will give you good crops of grain. The challenge is that we focus on those things, but those things come after he has given them a new heart. So for a few minutes, I, I want us to talk about the heart, the heart. Um, should I pause for a second? Does anybody want to ask any questions? Anybody, do you want to ask any questions? And then we'll see what we can do in 15 minutes. Any questions? When there are no questions, it's a bit worrying. Any questions? If you either put a question in the chat or, or write the question. Okay. Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6 and see what he says. Incidentally, the book of Ephesians that I said we should read, um, Ephesians is described as 
the complete gospel. And the reason why it's described as the complete gospel is because more than most of the epistles and most, more than most of the other books, it actually, uh, what's the word? It, 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 it um, captures, excuse me, the entirety of the gospel message. Um, so the first three verses of the book of Ephesians, and we'll touch on it before we end today. The first three verses of the book of Ephesians, they talk about the love of God. And remember I said to you when we read the scriptures, Isaiah 43, when we read Ezekiel 36, it always talks, it starts with the heart of God, um, how God feels towards us. So Ephesians chapters one to three talks about the love of God, the amazing grace of God, and how he sent Jesus to die for us and all that undeserved mercies of God, Ephesians chapters one to three. And then from verses four to six, it now focuses on how we should live as Christians. So they call, they call it the complete gospel because it shows us the two sides of the coin, what we've been trying to describe. Because you, we read the Bible to understand the mind of God. That he's saying, I love you, you know, I care for you, I did all this for you, but this is what I want from you as well. When do you know your heart has been restored or you have a new heart? I know we need to exhibit the fruit of the spirit, but what if your struggle? But what if you struggle with one fruit? Um, okay, um, thanks for the question, Thelma. So first of all, I believe, and I'm sure most of you will agree, the work of restoration of the heart is a lifelong thing. I don't think anyone, one of us, will ever get to the point of perfection where we're saying we are exactly that even though when you read the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 it talks about developing to the place of maturity maturity the 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 greek word for maturity is the same word as perfection i'm not sure that any human being can reach the point of perfection certainly not like jesus christ the whole idea is that we're continually paying attention to our heart we're continually paying attention to the the the, the way god wants us to live and what I do, ladies and gentlemen, is that when I read the Bible, one or two things will jump out at me that I feel God is saying you should address in, in, in that I should address in my life. And then I start to pay attention to it. So, for example, um, you read a scripture that says, be patient with each other. There are many things that we're supposed to grapple with that our hearts are supposed to grapple with. But I read a, a passage that says, be patient with each other. I take that and then start to walk it out, start to live it. It's not easy. And like I say to people, the moment you start to apply yourself to something, the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you like an examiner, like a teacher, a, a good teacher, not a bad teacher, like a good teacher, and tutor you in that thing. So you're trying to grapple with patience, for example, guess what the teacher will do? The teacher will bring people around you who will test your patience. Now, because you've made up your mind that you want to change, this is how the heart changes. Because you want, you want to change, you want to become more patient. You, when the test comes, even if you fail the test, you recognize that I failed this test, but I need to apply myself to. I say that to say, tell, tell me that it's a continuous lifelong thing where we keep 
um, what's the word now? We 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 keep deliberately wanting to become the new persons God wants us to be. We keep opening our hearts to the tutoring of the Holy Spirit. We keep lending ourselves to um, to wanting to do the things that we know are pleasing to God. I don't know if that has answered your question. You said, um, um, I know we need to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, but what if you struggle, if you struggle with the one fruit? Um, good news, Telma, is that I don't know about other people, but I struggle with many fruits. Um, there are nine fruits of the Spirit, nine fruits of the Spirit. Um, I, every now and then I try to measure myself against them, even though just to say that you can never be the best judge of yourself. Um, I always say other people will be better judges of you, whether you're becoming more patient, whether you're becoming more kind and all that. Um, but each time I read the fruit of the spirit, I put my hand on my head because I'm thinking, my God, you, you haven't even started in this area. So I, I, I think, Telma, that it's a lifelong journey and it's something, but what God wants and why he says, I will give you a tender, responsive heart. A tender, responsive heart is a heart that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. A tender, responsive heart is the heart that is always you know, very, very attentive to what the Spirit of God is saying. So the Spirit of God is pointing out here and then, you know, you haven't done this there, you, you failed there, you know, you need to work on this. That's a tender, responsive heart. And for as long as we have hearts that are tender and responsive to God, then the Spirit of God can every day keep doing the work that he wants to do in our lives. I don't know if that, that makes sense, yeah? It does make sense, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, what does being sprinkled with water in Ezekiel 36 mean? Is that baptism of water? Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much. And God, okay. Um, so the, the, the phrase is a metaphor, and that's why I quickly referred it to the work that um, Jesus Christ does in our life. So what he was saying, he wasn't referring to baptism. He was literally just talking about the cleansing of people's sins um, cleansing their sins so that they can be right with God. Now, we know that the only thing that really cleanses from sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, remember we said this last week, if you're you here last week, that a lot of what the Bible says points futuristically to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's why I said last week that the new thing, when God says, I'm going to do a new thing. It's going to be big. It's going to be more glorious than what I've done before. He wasn't just referring to delivering the children of Israel from Babylon. He was actually referring to the ultimate deliverance when Jesus was going to come. And that, that's the glorious thing that God has done that is far greater than the deliverance of the children of Israel from, from Egypt and certainly from Babylon. Okay, so it was a futuristic metaphor referring to the ultimate cleansing by the blood of Jesus. Okay, Amanda, yeah, okay. So Felicia says, a heart that is pliable, that is very true. Okay, is it in our place to pray for a change of heart for others? <laughs> Good question. Um, I think... And I'm sure I'm trying to remember, if anybody can remember the scripture, I think there's a scripture that actually refers to, oh yes, I remember the scripture now. 
Um, it is when Jesus was talking in Matthew, it would be between Matthew chapters five to seven. Um, and those chapters are again, very instructive because in those three chapters, Matthew five, six, seven, those were the chapters that go, uh, Jesus laid out the yardsticks or the principles of Christ-like living, yeah? And um, in one of the verses, I can't remember which one, it says, before you take out the little splint in your friend's eye, you remove the log in your eye first. And I always find that scripture very, very challenging. What Jesus is saying is that you focus on working on your own heart and then let each person focus on working on their own hearts rather than us taking it upon ourselves to determine other people's hearts. Now, does it mean that we shouldn't pray for other people? No, of course not. You know, we pray for each other. But then let's be careful that you're not praying from a position of being judge and jury over the other person's heart. Because frankly, how do you know the other person's heart? You, you, nobody sees anybody's heart. Yes, we can see behaviors and what you call it, but we can't speak for another person's heart. So my answer is, I think our responsibility is primarily, you focus on your heart. You keep asking God to change your heart. You know, I, I, I say this um, in marriage counseling and when we do our couples weekends away, that one of the biggest challenges in marriage, and for those of you that are married, I'm, I'm sure you'll experience this. You come into a marriage relationship, two people, you're supposed to love each other, supposed to walk together, supposed to become one. And then the quarrel starts. Why do quarrels start? They start because each person has an expectation of the other person. And that's where the problem is, because you see, we focus on our expectation of the other person. We're not thinking about what the other person's expectation of us is. And for as long as our expectations of, uh, are not being met by the other person, then we're angry, we're dissatisfied, and then we are wanting to change the other person because we want them to meet our expectations. I say this all the time, ladies and gentlemen, nobody, no human being, can change the heart of another person. It's not possible. There's no human being that has the power to change someone else's heart. Only God can. So I always say in marriage camps, in marriages, you focus on your heart, open your heart to the Holy Spirit and ask God to change you, to make you the husband or the wife that you're supposed to be. And for as long as the two people are doing that, each person focusing on their hearts, you'll be amazed what happens, okay? Um, Oh, to do, to do. What are the ninth fruit of the spirit? Rita, Rita, Rita. We've done this. Pastor Batch took us through that um, a number of times. Let me let me read them for you. Galatians chapter five. I'll just read that. Galatians chapter five. Uh, let me find it. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in us, in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says there's no law against this, these things. Those are the nine fruit of the Spirit. But let me just leave you with one or two scriptures to meditate on 
um, in the next few days. So Galatians chapter six, Galatians chapter six, I'll read a few scriptures before we go. And then if there are any questions, I will. Sir, please explain why God hadn't, <laughs> why God hadn't Pharaoh's heart then punished him for it. As in, are you born with a hard heart or does it become hard over time? Okay, very good question, Any. So remember, um, David says in Psalm 51 that I was born in iniquity. I was born in sin. What he was saying basically is since Adam sinned, um, since our forefathers sinned, sin has become predominant or rampant in the world. It's almost become second nature. So uh, uh, people tend to gravitate towards sin more than towards righteousness. That's been the state of the, the, the world that we live in. But those, is a person born with a hard heart? Absolutely not. Everyone is born with a clean slate. It's always a question of what you learn as you grow up. As, as I'm sure you know, when you are growing, you pick up things and you learn, and those things mold you. So if you are born, and I'm just giving a, a random example. If you're born into a family where um, right from when you're young, there's so much love in the family, you know, people love each other, they're telling the truth, um, they're, they, you know, all, 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 the, all the works of righteousness. You will grow up that kind of person, believing in telling the truth all the time, believing in loving people, being considerate and being what's called. But if you grow up in an environment where everybody's stabbing themselves in the back, everybody's, you, you get the point. You become like that. I don't think anybody's born with a hard heart. These are things that we pick up as we live through life. Now, coming to the story of Joseph, I'm sorry, of Pharaoh, um, the Bible actually explains it. Um, so God sees the heart. And that's the important thing we must not forget. God sees your heart. There's nothing that you're going to open your mouth to say to God. There's nothing you're going to say in the place of prayer that God doesn't already know or see. And what the Bible was saying is that God saw that this man, in the same way, ladies and gentlemen, that the Israelites, were, were, were they went to captivity. And like I said to you earlier, you would have expected that they'd be remorseful. You know, they, they, they changed their mind. Look at all the things God has done for us. And then, you know, here we are. We disobeyed God. We're in captivity. You know, we should repent. But they continued in their hard-heartedness for many reasons. But the point, and very quickly, is that God saw the heart of Pharaoh. I knew that Pharaoh was not going to repent because I can guarantee, well, let me not say I can guarantee you, I'm just a human being. But I was going to say, I can guarantee you that when God sees remorse in the heart of a person, he's quick to give mercy. I have examples. I, I, I don't know the exact scriptures. I was about to say, I don't know uh, chapters like Pastor Badge does, but there's a story of, uh, I think it was Manasseh. Uh, Man Manasseh. It, the Bible says that he started. You know, the Bible always starts when describing the kings in Israel. He would say, and he did what was right before God, or he did what was evil before God. 
So I think in this particular case, if I'm not mistaken, it was Manasseh. He says, um, he started by saying, and he did evil in the sight of God, like his father before him, and, blah, 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 blah. and this guy did a lot of evil and what's called, and God started to bring judgment. But then the Bible says he felt sorry and repented. And God, so God pronounced judgment, but when he repented, God removed the judgment. And just an example to say that I believe personally that anyone who is remorseful and repentant before God will receive the mercy of God. That's the whole essence of tenderness and responsive heart. A heart that is tender is very quick to sense the displeasure of God and very quick to say, you know what, you know, I, need to, I, need, I need to go back in the right direction. And then God will respond and come alongside you. Okay. <laughs> if God sees the heart and knows what you're going to pray before you pray, why does it take time? To, <laughs> why does it take time to answer, particularly when it comes to healing? Okay, um, good question. Um, everything always revolves around the will of God and the plan of God. God is sovereign. God, you know, God is sovereign. Is also all powerful, so there's nothing God cannot do. So when we pray, we're actually praying, and that's why Jesus says when He gives us gives us the template in um, what time is it? One minute. When Jesus gives us the template in um, in the Lord's Prayer, He says, "Pray like this. First of all, honor God, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be Your name." And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the template. So the key to prayer is we're praying for God's will. So I'm asking for something, but we should learn to say, Lord, I'm asking according to your will. I'm asking that you'd heal. I'm asking that you'd bless. I'm asking, but according to your will, because God has a sovereign plan. We cannot bypass God's sovereign plan. We can only come alongside God's sovereign plan. And that's what prayer does. Prayer brings us alongside God's sovereign plan. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just leave you with a few scriptures. Galatians chapter 6, um, very quickly, um, talking about the heart from verses uh, 6, verses 14 to 16. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Verse 15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. Now, very quickly, um, some, of the, some of the Christians were saying, you know, to, to be accepted by God, you still have to be circumcised. And he says, no, it doesn't matter whether you are circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Again, that's very important. Um, um, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. That's very important as well. But let me just end with the book of Ephesians. I kind of thought we would not be able to get there. But if you please just read Ephesians chapter 4, particularly. Um, if you like, you can go on to verses 5 and 6. Actually, if you want to do a proper study, just read the whole of the book of Ephesians. Like I said, verses 1 to 3 focused on God, the love of God, the amazing love of God, what God has done for you and I through Christ Jesus. 
all undeserving. Remember, God reminded them that everything that he did for them, it wasn't because they deserved it. That's what verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians does. And then verses 4 to 6 now focuses on us, as in what God expects of us, the way that we should live. And it starts with, let me read this, and then we'll end for today. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You know that word calling um, in, in, in the Greek is the word klesis. It means when you are invited into a relationship with God, there's a responsibility that comes with it. And that's what we're talking about, that God expects us to do our part of it. That is to live in a way that represents God. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. I'd, I'd hoped we would be able to look into those, but we can't. But that is what God is looking for, ladies and gentlemen. Hearts that are transformed, hearts that represent his son Jesus, hearts that represent him to the world. That must be the starting place of the new. If any new thing is going to happen, let it start with a new heart from each one of us. And as you read scripture, scripture will challenge you and I into how our hearts can conform to the way God wants them to be. Uh, the pure in heart will see God. That's symbol. Okay. We, we're three minutes over. Um, Second Corinthians. 5, 16 to 17. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And then Ephesians. I mean, what I'd really love you to read is the book of Ephesians from the whole of the book of Ephesians. Um, a lot to talk about in Ephesians, but we'll come to it um, at some point um, in the next few weeks. We'll pick up from there. But um, I think Pastor Badge will continue from next week. But guys, thank you very much for your time. Um, like I said, when we do come back, uh, we'll come back to the book of Ephesians. Thank you. God bless you. And thank have a you. wonderful week. Oh, thank you. Thank God you, bless sir. You. Thank you, sir. God bless you. you.